Thanks for tuning into the Central Church Podcast. We exist to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow Him. To learn more about Central, access tons of content, and find the location nearest you, download our Central Church app. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message, and we're so glad you could join us today. Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you with us today and want to say a big shout out to each of our Central Family locations. So I want to welcome not only the Henderson location, but our Central Summerlin family. Grateful for you guys. Uh, Central Sunrise Mountain, Central Southern Highlands, uh, our Central Kingman family. We love you guys down in Kingman. And uh, we're grateful for those watching online. And a special shout out to those who are joining us in different prison facilities in our partnership with God Behind Bars. Thank you guys for being with us. Well, let me ask you, what would you do if all of a sudden you had a million dollars? I did a little research online and just, you know, it was interesting to read people's responses to what they would do if suddenly they had a million dollars. Some people would just blow it. I mean, they go on a crazy vacation around the world. They'd buy a Lamborghini. They'd buy a beach house. Some people think a million dollars is going to go a lot farther than a million dollars is actually going to go, Right. Other people would sort of ration it out. They would try to get it to last as long as possible and just kind of get every cent out of it that they could. And then there's another group of people, probably the wisest group of people, who would put that money to work and invest it in such a way that it could uh, provide more for their family and for their needs. And I ask you that question because, well, first of all, it's interesting that you and I, according to research, if we go through a normal work life, um, if you make $25,000 or more a year, you work for 40 years, you're going to earn well over a million dollars in the course of your life. So we are deciding what we would do with a million dollars every day, right? Every day. But even more than a million dollars, you have this special, sacred, amazing thing called your one and only life. And how are you going to spend your one and only life? Right? Are you gonna are, are you gonna blow it? Some people are like, yeah, man, you know, YOLO, right? You only live once. Let's go crazy. Let's have fun. If it feels good, do it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Consequences don't matter, right? Other people they, they want to kind of ration it out. You know, they're gonna they're gonna try to make it go as long as as they can. They're gonna they're gonna eat their vegetables. They're gonna go to the gym. They're gonna work. They're gonna watch Netflix. They're gonna do these things. They're gonna go to bed. They're gonna get up the next day. They're just gonna kind of extend it out as far as they can. But other people, and this is what I want to challenge you with today, are gonna take their one and only life, and they're gonna to invest their one and only life for an even greater return. And I want to challenge you today to invest into something that outlasts your life. Invest into something that outlasts your life. Now to do that, I wanna look at a story, one of my favorite stories from the Bible, Matthew chapter 25, we're gonna be in verse 14. Jesus is teaching, and uh, he's teaching what many now call the, the parable of the talents. But uh, it's a fascinating story, and in this story, Jesus gives us insight both into God and into ourselves and the gifts that God has given us. So check this out. When we get to the red word, read it out loud here with me, but Jesus starts Matthew 25, verse 14. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. So when Jesus would tell these parables, a parable just means literally to throw alongside. So Jesus would throw a story alongside a principle so that we could get it, because we often learn through stories. So often in Jesus' stories, you have characters that represent God, 
And then you'll have other characters that represent you and me. Jesus says, this is how the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. Man's going on a long trip. He called together his servants and what? Entrusted. So he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Notice whose money it is. <laughs> it's his money. He entrusted it to them. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So in Jesus' story, I think we're to read it and understand the master as God, the one who gives the gifts, and we are his servants, his people. We receive the gifts. And he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The master goes away for a while and he entrusts things to you to manage. Now, it says he gives, um, you know, five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one ba bag of silver to another. And just so that we have a framework, you know, some translations translate that as a talent. And it doesn't mean like an ability. A talent was basically the uh, wealth equivalent in Jesus' time of about 15 years worth of wages. So it was huge, right? So the idea, the original listeners would have heard this and they were like, whoa. I mean, the master is, is being incredibly generous, giving a huge amount of wealth to his servants. And they would have understood that there's like this... Um, there's this sort of uh, informal agreement in how household organizations were run where if the servants were to take that money and invest it and put it to work and earn even more money, they would probably have some profit sharing going on on the back end. So what Jesus' original listeners would have understood is that the master is giving them the chance of a lifetime. He's giving them resources, finances, time, and purpose. And they're to go and invest what he's given them. And in doing it, um, uh, you know, they, they position themselves for even more, as we'll see in the story. So there's a lot to pull out of this story, but it's a powerful story for how we handle what God has given us in our life. Not just money, but everything that he's given us in our life. We've been in this series called 101080. We're wrapping it up this weekend, and we've just been talking about this basic sort of framework that believers have used for generations to try and handle kind of resources and stuff that God brings into their life. And so um, we've said this dollar bill represents uh, our income, and we talked week one about our giving power, about taking the first 10% of all that God provides and giving that back to him, not because God needs the money, not because the church needs the money, but because we need to put God first in our life. That's the whole principle of tithing and the giving power. That was week one. Week two, we talked about saving power. And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to some people throughout this series who've said things like, you know, I, I've done pretty good on the tithing part and putting God first in my giving, but I didn't save. I haven't paid myself. I haven't put any money back. And we talked about the importance of that. Last week, we talked about, you know, what does it look like for us to spend according to uh, the things that we value rather than to spend just for status? And we talked about sort of managing the other 80%. But today I wanna fly even higher and think about it from this standpoint. God doesn't just want our 10%. God doesn't just want our 20%. God wants 100%, right? He wants everything, all of our money, all of our heart, all of our talent. Some people get all bothered, you know, oh God, man, you, you know, 10% of your income and tithing and oh my gosh, I'm like, oh no, it's way worse than that. It's way worse than that. God doesn't do want your 10%. He wants 100%, you know, like, like he, he wants your heart. He wants, but he wants what's best for you and for me. And when we start to manage our money and our stuff and our time and our talent and our abilities, 
with an eye toward God and his goodness, man, we really position ourselves to give ourselves to something that outlasts our life. So invest your life in something that outlasts your life. And one of the ways we can do that is to manage God's gifts, to manage God's gifts. Now, I remember my first car. My first car was a Buick Skylark. I don't know if you remember the Buick Skylark, you probably don't, and that says all you need to know, but it was my sister's car, and then I sort of inherited it, and I remember putting you know, the, the stereo in it when I was like 15, because it sat in our driveway for a couple years. You know, when I was like 15, I got the stereo put in it, I had it all tricked out, had a sunroof in it, you know, I was ready to go, man, and um, when I headed out with that car, it was awesome, which by the way, can I just pause for a moment and say, kids are so different today when it comes to driving. They're like, I'm always like, man, kids, you know, you're almost 16, you wanna get your license. You know, today they're like, oh no, you, you can drive me. I'll just Uber. Come on, man, when I was like 14, I was dreaming about being on the road and being independent, you know, and, and then at 15, I started getting everything ready and the day I turned 16, I got my license and I was gone, baby. I'm on the road. Anyway, I don't understand, but it's different today. But my parents made something really clear to me, and that was that I had the responsibility for the car. <laughs> I had to put the gas in it, I had to clean it, I had to take care of it. The car was my responsibility, but it was their car. They maintained the rights to the car. You know what I'm, parents, you know what I'm talking about? So you can drive the car, you can manage the car, you're responsible for the car, and at any moment that you don't, we can take the car back, right? Now it's interesting, in Jesus' story, you get the same kind of idea. The master, God, says to his servants, I give you five bags of silver, you two bags of silver, you one bag of silver, but it's not their silver, right? It's God's. It's the masters, and they're to manage what has been given to them. We don't own anything. We simply manage what God has entrusted us with for the time that he entrusts us with it. And we wanna manage his gifts well. Now, did you notice that, that everybody didn't receive the same gifts equally? That kind of bothers me. You know, you read that and you're like, I mean, we say, you know, uh, all human beings are equal and, and we are and we're equally loved by God and we're, you know, we're, uh, um, you know we have an equal place in his, in his kingdom and that through Christ and our faith and trust in him, we're forgiven and we're free. But the Bible doesn't say that we all have been given equal gifts. That's something different. And the master comes and to some, he chooses to give five talents of silver. Why? I don't know. Take it up with him. Right? You give somebody else, you know, two, two things of silver. And you, you're like, well, why did I not even, I didn't even get any silver. I got like a copper penny, man. What's the deal here? But nobody in Jesus' story has no gifts. Everybody has some gifts. And he gives us gifts according, it says, to our ability, to the ability. What, and the master determines that, right? So our job and responsibility is to determine, hey, what kind of gifts has God given me? And let me manage those gifts, my talent, my time, my stuff, to the best of my ability for his glory. What I often do is I want to look around at other people and compare myself to them. I want to look at what God has given them. I want to look at their talents, their abilities, right? Their stuff. And let me just say, look, comparison is the fastest way to discontentment in your life. 
As soon as you start comparing to people around you and others around you, you're gonna get frustrated and discouraged. But as soon as you start looking up to God and saying, all right, God, forget all that. Forget what's happening on social media, like that's reality. Forget what's going on over here. God, I'm just gonna follow you and trust you. And I don't have it all, but I have a gift or some gifts. I wanna use my gifts to the best of my ability for you. Listen, God determines the gifts that we receive. That's his business. We just have to take the gifts he gives us and be thankful for them and look to him and praise him and manage those gifts well. And listen, everybody in this room today, everybody listening, everybody watching online, everybody at our locations, all of you have gifts. Listen, in Summerlin, you have gifts. In Sunrise Mountain, you have gifts. Kingman, you have gifts. If you're watching in a prison facility, you have gifts. Everybody has gifts. And your gift may not be my gift, and my gift may not be your gift, and that's what makes the world beautiful, right? God's given us all different gifts and abilities. So manage what he's given you well. Think about what he's given you. Some of you, he's given you a gift with music. So man, when you play music or sing music, you engage other people, you lift their hearts. So use music well to bring encouragement to others for the glory of God. Some of you, he's given the ability to be uh, hospitable in every situation. You love to make people, it's actually a spiritual gift in the Bible, the gift of hospita hospitality. You love to make people feel welcome and at home and, and that's your thing, you know? And you can do that in a church setting. You can do that in a group setting. You can do that at home. You can. There's all kinds of ways that you can leverage that gift to help people feel at home. Uh, some of you, you know, you have a gift of faith. You just believe that God's gonna do great things in people's lives and you walk around and you carry that gift of faith. And I love people with a gift of faith. Some of us, we, we don't have so much the gift of faith. We have the gift of realism. That's depressing. <laughs> Get me around some people with the gift of faith, you know? We call that realism wisdom, and it may be wise, but you know, it's uh, sometimes you need somebody with faith to go, hey, 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 keep looking up. God's moving, God's working. Some of you have a spiritual gift of encouragement. God's given you that gift. Leverage it in your family, at your workplace, at church. And if you'll manage that gift well, then you listen, you are investing your life in something that outlasts your life. You're managing God's gifts well. Here's another thought, and that is to live with purpose. To live with purpose. I saw this image online. I thought it was pretty funny, and I actually can relate to this. Uh, we'll bring it up here on the screen. It says, me, uh, I need a purpose, <laughs> my brain. Did you say a purchase? <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes when you're bored or you're frustrated or you're tired or whatever, it's easy to just be like, you know, I just need to go buy something, do something, go shopping, go out to eat, something, right? I need a purchase. And this is just a good reminder of this story that, listen, a purchase will never be able to compete with a greater purpose in your life. When the master gives the gifts to the servants and goes away on his trip, what he's doing is he's entrusting to them something that's gonna give them a greater purpose. See, a big part of our purpose in life is managing the gifts that God's given us. And say, well, what's the point? Why am I here? You're here to discover what God has put in your heart what he's made you good at, what you love to do, and then do it for his glory to the best of your ability. Just manage what he's given you and live with a sense of purpose in your life. So when we look at Jesus' story, 
Um, you know, these individuals, they don't own anything. They're, uh, they're kind of at this place where, you know, the master's going away. And as the story goes forward, uh, you read that the one person who was given five bags of silver took those uh, five bags and, of silver and invested that money and put it to work, and he earned five more bags of silver. Now he had 10 bags of silver, boom, right? The other guy, he had two bags of silver. He didn't have five, but he had two. He put those two bags to work, and he uh, ultimately had four bags of silver. But then there was the third guy. The third guy only received one talent, but rather than investing that, he took what God had given him, the talent or the bag of silver, and he says he buried it in the ground, right? Because he didn't want to lose it. He didn't want to mess it up. Maybe he's disqualified. Maybe he's not good enough. Maybe he didn't have the skills and the abilities to, right, whatever. So he buries it out of fear, and then the master shows up. The master comes back after a long time. The master comes to the one who has 10 bags of silver and says, good job, well done, my good and faithful servant. So he says the exact same thing to the person who has two bags and turned it into four. Good job, well done, yeah, my good and faithful servant. Then he comes to the guy who had the one bag and he buried it, and this is not good. This is, this is no bueno. This is, this is going bad fast. The master is not happy. He said, why did the guy take his bag of silver, take his gifts, take what the master had given him, and bury it. Well, here's what we read. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 24, says this. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a what? Harsh man. Now, that's fascinating. The guy with one talent, listen, he had a different perspective on who the master was than the guys with five talents and the guys with two talents. Um, you know, he says, he says, I knew you were harsh, harvesting crops that you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. He's like, he like thinks that the master's a mob boss. You go where you want, you raid what you want, you take what you want. And, but, and, and because he thinks that about the master, look, I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. And there's a lot here, but I think if your view of God is that he's harsh and stingy and withholding from you, that radically affects how you manage fear in your life. But if you view God as somebody who's generous and kind and loving and loves to bless his children, that can empower you to overcome your fear, and we all have fear, to overcome your fear with faith. So why do we bury what God has given us. Some of us, you know, if you look back over your life, you say, I've taken my talents, my abilities, my stuff, and too much of that stuff I've buried in the ground. I haven't invested it. I haven't used it for God's glory or for others. I've just buried it. Why do we do that? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. Some of it might be just self-doubt. We think, gosh, you know, I'm disqualified. I'm not good enough. I did all these things in the past. God can't really use me. Sometimes we go into like self-pity, you know, like I tried it and it failed. And, and sometimes we think we get self Self-conscious, we think. Uh, I wonder what other people are th will think. I'm afraid of what other people will think, and we allow that fear to kind of drive us in our lives, and we bury our gifts. We bury what God has entrusted to us, and we allow that fear to take over. What happens when you bury the gifts that God has given you? You lose them. I mean, that's what happened in the story. 
The master comes and he says, the guy brings his one bag back and he says, take the bag from the, from the man who had one, take it away from him and give it to the man with 10. And then this is what Jesus says to drive home the principle. Matthew chapter uh, 25. To those who, what? Use well. You see that? He says, to those who use well, what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. How many of you want an abundance? I'm in for that, right? How do you get an abundance? Well, use well what you've already been given, right? Use well what you've already been given and then more will be given. They'll have an abundance. But from those who do what? Nothing. Even what little they have will be taken away. So the old principle is true. Use it or lose it, right? I mean, studies show if you don't engage your brain as you get older, your brain starts to decline, right? Your mental, well, your mental capacity starts to be reduced. You're not using it, you start to lose it. Same thing with muscles. You know, like if you don't, you don't use those muscles, oh my gosh, if any of you have ever strength training and you take like a month off and you come back and you're like, oh man, I, I, like a month ago I was strong, what happened? You stop training those muscles over time, what do they do? They just, they start to decline. And the same can be true in our spiritual lives as well. So we gotta take the gifts God's given us, however little it may be, and manage it well and live with purpose for him. And if we'll do that, we position ourselves to receive even more. I think one of the things that we engage in sometimes that keeps us from moving forward with what God's given us and causes us to bury what he's given us is just... Um, Perfectionism, this idea that everything has to be perfect, you know, like, like, yeah, you know, God, I would, I would use my gifts, right? I, I would go out and, and take a risk. I would serve kids. Uh, you know, I would, um, uh, you know, I would uh, do something for somebody at work. I'd give somebody a ride. I'd leverage some of these things in my life, but it's not the right time. God, I'll get a financial plan together. I'm gonna get a spending plan together and all that. Someday, right? We'll do that someday. God, I'm gonna get in shape. I'm gonna go to the gym. I'm gonna work out. It's gonna be awesome someday. But today is Mexican food. <laughs> right, like don't we all kind of, you know, we, we get pulled along and sometimes because things aren't perfect, we start to sort of procrastinate. Listen, perfectionism is a fuel for procrastination. But things just aren't perfect in life, right? Life isn't perfect. There's never gonna be a perfect time. You know, my friend Tommy Politz, he says, someday is a code word for never. Someday is a code word for never. There's no better day than today, than to get started today. I mean, a lot of what I've just been hammering on the last four weeks is just get some kind of a spending plan going in your life, however simple it may be. Just start it today. It doesn't have to be perfect, that's okay. Just start something is better than nothing, and in starting it, you'll start feeling better and moving towards getting some freedom in your life. Just do something in your life. I mean, if you're waiting for a perfect situation before you step out and launch that business, or a perfect situation before you make that move or make that career jump, it's just never gonna happen. If you wait for a perfect situation for you to get some romance in your marriage, you gotta be on the beach with the waves lapping up next to your feet and you know island music in the background and you're like, hey. 
There isn't going to be a lot of romance in your marriage if that's how it's got to be, right? You're just not going to get that very often. You got to learn how to have romance in the middle of crazy, in the middle of stress. And so sometimes we just got to take the gifts, the abilities, the talent that God has given us and just say, God, I'm just, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to step out and leverage this and use it and live for purpose. Third idea is simply this, to reduce your excuse. You know, I don't know if you've been pulled over recently, but uh, a lot of people have different excuses when they get pulled over by uh, police officers. Um, some people actually argue with the officer. That just seems crazy to me, but some of you are like this. You know, they start arguing with the officer. Some of you are like my wife. She just gets emotional and starts tearing up, you know, because she never breaks rules. I just act like the most naive, stupid person on the planet. Really? There's a speed limit? I didn't. I was going over the speed limit? How could this even happen? <laughs> I found this thing online that was actual statements that people had said to police officers when they had been pulled over. Some of these were, <laughs> some of these are great, classic. Um, one guy said, I was trying to burn the carbon off my spark plugs. <laughs> okay. Another person said, I'm sorry, officer, I was low on fuel and wanted to get to the gas station before I ran out, <laughs> which apparently is very popular. But listen, just accelerating your car burns more gas, not less. One person said, yes, I was speeding, but here's a $100 bill with your name on it that says I wasn't. <laughs> That guy lived in Las Vegas. <laughs> One guy actually said this, my wife's about to get pregnant. <laughs> and I need to be there when it happens. <laughs> oh, well, there's that. Now, I'm grateful for our police officers. Thank you, uh, law enforcement, for all that you do. And grateful for the way you serve and protect. But we're pretty good at excuses, right? And we can come up with all kinds of excuses to why we don't use the things that God has given us. But let me just motivate you with a little bit of the reward of what comes into your life when you use and leverage however little God may give you for his glory. Listen to what the master said to each of these servants. Uh, that took the five bags and turned it into 10 and the two bags and turned it into four. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 23. The master said, well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, which is interesting because it wasn't a very small amount. But you've been faithful in handling this small amount. But in God's economy, what does money mean, Right? What does small and large mean if you're God? This is a small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Master says you've proven yourself faithful with the little that I gave you. You managed it well, and now I'm going to give you even more. So three things happen. First is affirmation. Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
When you use your gifts, even if nobody's looking, you use your gifts of encouragement to encourage somebody. There's a spiritual gift of giving. Some of you give generously, even though nobody looks. There's a spiritual gift of faith. You leverage that gift of faith, even though nobody else is looking. Every time you do that, I want you to hear those words of affirmation that the master offers. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You're leveraging the gifts that I put in your heart. You're doing what I made you to do. Second, not only is there affirmation, there's promotion. You've been faithful in the little, now I'll give you more. Sometimes I feel like a broken record, but I'm always saying, look, we want God to bless us with more. We want God to provide more. We want God to show up with more. Awesome. So be faithful with your little today. That's how you get there. Take the little he's given you, tithe back to him, save for your future, get a spending plan and live on it. Take the little gifts he's given you, Serve somebody, just do something. Join a team here at church. You can use your gifts in all kinds of ways. Leverage your gifts at work. Just be conscientious with your family that God can use you to make an impact in somebody else's life. And if you'll be faithful with whatever he gives you, what happens? Promotion, so we have affirmation. We have promotion uh, in, our, in our lives, which is awesome. We all want that, and then we have celebration. He says, come on, let's celebrate. I don't know about you, but I would love for God to say to me when it's all said and done, let's celebrate. Well done. I didn't even give you very much, right? But you took some risks and stepped out and used it and look at what was accomplished. So it's so easy to look around and compare to other people. Other people aren't our standard. Only God is our standard, right? And God has gifted you. So take your time, your talent, your money, 100% of who you are. This week, just come before God and say, all right, God, what, how would you like for me to leverage my gifts for you? Maybe you already know what your gifts are and you can kind of take some steps at work or at home to be intentional about doing those things for God's glory this week. Maybe some of you, if you're honest, you've taken some talents and abilities and you just keep burying them. You just keep saying, someday I'm gonna do that. Someday I'm gonna get around to that. And maybe this is the week where you kind of do a little digging and you dig that back up and you're like, someday is today because otherwise someday just is a code word for never. So God, today I'm gonna take a step and I'm gonna start. If we can help you join a team and just get started serving other people in a practical way, we wanna do that. You can always go to our central website, centralonline.tv slash join a team, and uh, you see it there on the lower third. Um, join the team. That's a great way to find out many of the places you can uh, get involved or jump in. Always across our locations, you can simply go to the new to central area. Just kind of let them know who you are, what's going on in your heart. And if we can find a way to connect you with a way to serve others, we want to do that for you in your life. You know, I was reading about Mother Teresa, incredible inspiration. And Mother Teresa served uh, poor families and individuals in Calcutta, uh, for years until her death. And at one point, this British journalist came down and saw her doing all of this work with the poor. And he said, you know, how, how do you do this? How do you keep showing up day after day? You keep serving the poor. And he said this, he goes, even though you know you're never gonna really be successful in like ending poverty or ending suffering. And Mother Teresa didn't miss a beat. She said, God does not call me to be successful. He calls me to be faithful. And that's a great word for us today. Our culture says we gotta be successful. I think God's saying, just be faithful with what I've given you. 
Culture says you gotta have it all to have a great life. I think what God's trying to teach us is learn contentment, learn to celebrate the little that I give you, manage it well, and I'll provide more for you. And it's all for him. Everything is his. So invest your life in something that outlasts your life and see the impact go even further. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never crossed the line of faith. And I'd love to just give you an opportunity to reach out to God and place your faith and your trust in him. So if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, if you'd like to take that step, if you'd like to surrender your life, you can repeat a simple prayer after me, just opening your heart and your mind to God. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You can begin that journey by repeating after me to say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I wanna ask you to just slip your hand in the air just to acknowledge that you're gonna follow God in your life, that you're trusting him in your life today. Slip your hand in the air. God, we thank you for each person reaching out to you we pray that you'll move and restore and heal and do what only you can do in their hearts and in their lives. And God, we thank you for what you've done in our own hearts and lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.